If you believe in Jesus, the greatest gift He can give you is the gift over death. It means that you will never die. Jesus said after raising Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he lives and dies, will never die. Did Jesus exist before the world was ever created? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. We're currently in an extensive verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. And today, David takes us to chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, where Jesus makes the extraordinary claim to have existed before the world was ever created. Hi, everyone. Uh, Before I bring you the verses that I think God has laid on my heart to present to you today, John the 8th chapter, verses 48 through 59, just some wonderful insights into who Jesus is. I just want to use this as an introduction. Not very often does July the 4th fall on a Sunday. That is obviously today. And I just felt it would be appropriate to begin today's message with a reminder, kind of a civics course, if you will, to all of us in America, how precious the First Amendment is. We are the only nation on the face of this earth with the First Amendment which then is guaranteed and protected by the Second Amendment, the gun rights. But in the First Amendment, there are four freedoms that are guaranteed each and every American citizen according to the Constitution. Uh, First of all, there is the freedom of speech. We are guaranteed to be able to speak whatever we feel, even bad speech. But we believe in this nation that you overcome bad speech with good speech. And over time, when good speech is spoken, bad speech is obliterated and put aside. So freedom of speech is a guaranteed constitutional right, a freedom we are given. There's also, secondly, the freedom of religion, that every different religion out there can practice as it wishes. Uh, There is a wall of separation, according to a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists in 1803, that guarantees that separation of religion and state, but nevertheless, the religious people of this nation can try to influence the state because our founders believed in the practice of religion here. Most of the people who came from Western Europe to our nation were fleeing religious persecution. So our founders wanted to write into the Constitution a guaranteed religious freedom. Now, I want to give you an insight into something that's happening in our nation today. The difference between progressives and conservatives regarding this guaranteed religious freedom. The progressives, those on the left, believe, I think, in the perfectibility of humankind. They believe that if you just work hard enough, you can progress progressive to a point where human beings are perfect and they will operate rightly. Uh, They believe in the basic inherent goodness of humanity. Now, most of our founders, though, were biblical Christians. They believed in the biblical view on the nature of humanity, and they believed in what's called total depravity, uh, that there is no perfectibility of humankind on this side of eternity. So therefore, they wrote into our Constitution a system of checks and balances where there were three different divisions of our government so that no one person or no one compartment could have power. 
progressives believe in the consolidation of power in order for government to make laws in order for the perfectibility of humankind to occur. Where the conservative people, those who know inherently that we are selfish, believed in a divided nature of the Constitution. And also they believed that religion would be practiced by the vast majority of the people and they would be controlled not by governmental laws, but by an inward reality of God in them, desiring them to obey God, and therefore you would need less human laws. Uh, so they believed in the division of the Constitution, not having consolidated power, because that would give power to one entity that would then try to force the people into a box, which is why they fled Western Europe to come to the United States and form a more perfect union. So that's why the freedom of religion is guaranteed in the First Amendment. Then thirdly, there is the freedom of press, and we need to constantly hope for, pray for, that we will have in our nation a press that really is objective, and it's not necessarily in one particular area of totalitarianism, a, a technology oligarch, if you will, where they can tell us whatever they want to tell us and not have the other side hurt. We hope for a press that really does balance itself and give both sides an intelligent thinking. Americans can then see what the truth is by both sides being uh, presented to them. We do have an issue today, I think, with a preference of progressivism that is trying to influence American voters to vote a certain way and not giving the other side as we should. But there is the freedom of press. That's guaranteed in my prayer is that more conservative, those who understand the human nature of sin will rise up and offer other platforms where people can go to get the news of the day. And finally, there is the freedom of peaceful assembly. Not the freedom of assembly to burn down buildings and destroy. That was never guaranteed by our founders. They did, though, guarantee that any group of people who have a grievance can come together and present themselves and offer that grievance publicly to whatever venue they so desire. So those four freedoms are guaranteed to us. Speech, religion, the press, and peaceful assembly. Folks, we need to guard those freedoms. They are so precious. They are unique to America. We have other places in the world where if you try to practice your faith, you are beheaded even. Uh, you are thrown into jail and prison. Uh, if you speak a certain truth that you believe, you're um, put into a place of exile. You are maybe even thrown into prison. Now, so we need to guard these freedoms. We've known through the centuries how precious those freedoms are because literally hundreds of thousands of men and women have given their lives, shed their blood for the purpose of safeguarding those freedoms. So Parents, make sure your children know those freedoms. Teach them. I'm not sure they're being taught in civics classes like my generation was taught and maybe yours as well. But we need to continue to teach those freedoms to our kids. We need to know that many people have given their lives to safeguard those freedoms for us. And we've tried to be a beacon of freedom to other nations throughout the world. Hey. How come everybody in the world wants to come here? How come nations have to build walls to keep their people in who want to come here? It's because this nation is so great and freedom is so precious. So I wanted to begin our message that way. And I'll come back at the end and give you some spiritual insights into spiritual freedoms that we should celebrate this 4th of July, which uniquely falls on Sunday, the Sabbath Christian day of worship. So let me get into the text now. Uh, have you ever been in an argument with somebody? Uh, hopefully not your spouse, but that happens as well. And when you're in that argument with them, each comment and each response escalates the argument a little higher and then just a little higher until finally the lid blows off and there really is tension between you. 
Well, if you've ever been in that escalating kind of argument, you're going to really understand today's text because Jesus has been in that kind of escalating argument with the Jewish leaders of his day over the last several chapters. It began in chapter five when Jesus gave a man who couldn't walk for 38 years, the ability to walk. And he did it on the Sabbath on Saturday, the Jewish worship day. And the Jewish officials thought he'd broken the Sabbath, broken one of the Ten Commandments, and they were furious with him. And they began then to plot to kill him. And that goes through chapters six and seven up to chapter eight. They bring a woman caught in the very act of adultery before him, trying to trip him and catch him and saying, oh, we forgive her. Thus, the law of Moses isn't very important or, oh, she's awful. She's terrible. And the people thinking, but I thought you were full of grace, compassion and kindness. Well, finally, Jesus looks at her and says, hey, all of you who have stones in your hands, if you've never sinned, throw the first stone. They drop their stones. Jesus tells the woman that her sins are forgiven. She calls him Lord, capital L. She comes to faith in him. And Jesus said to her, here's the one thing. If you understand my grace, go and sin no more. Because grace always has as its purpose, repentance in our lives, complete change so that we truly follow him. Then began a tit for tat argument between Jesus and them. Uh, they were like cockroaches. They would go into the dark and then they would come out and start at Jesus again. We see in John 8, verse 32, that Jesus is talking about the truth and he says, the truth will set you free. They respond and say, what are you talking about? Jesus said, you know, there are two kinds of people in the world who are religious. You're either a slave to a master and you're trying to obey whatever the master tells you to do. And if you feel like you fail, you're going to get punished. And that's one world's religion. The only other world's religion is God is an Abba, daddy, loving father. And he loves you so deeply. He has adopted you into his family. He's given you a name change. You're an heir of everything that he owns in all of heaven. Either you are a slave or a son or daughter. Those are the two world's religions, Jesus said. And they responded back at Jesus. Well, you know, our father's Abraham. And Jesus responds and said, you know, if your father was truly Abraham and you are descended physically from him, but if you were descended spiritually from him, you would obey what I tell you to do, just like Abraham obeyed God who told him what you do, because I am God and I am your pre in your presence. If you had a spiritual relationship to, uh, through uh, Abraham to God, you would want to follow me as well. Well, that ticked them off. You can feel the anger escalating more and more. And then Jesus says to him, in fact, your father is the father of life. Lies, the devil. That's what we looked at last week. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. We looked at the fall of Satan last week from heaven. His job description, according to Jesus in John 10, 10, to kill, steal and destroy. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He tempted Eve and Adam to sin against God. They knew that if they rebelled against God, they would surely die physically and spiritually. Satan's job description, kill, steal, destroy. And when they ate of that fruit, they died. Spiritually, they were separated from God. Physically, they invited the physical corruption of sin into their bodies and they were going to die. Satan, a murderer from the beginning, he uh, had Cain kill Abel in Genesis 4. And every murder, every war, every place of death that's occurred since thereafter is because of that evil one. Jesus said, that's who your father is, the father of lies. And they're just going crazy with that idea. They think that's absolutely horrible for Jesus to say such a thing. And then Jesus ends that encounter with these words in verse 47 of chapter eight. Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 
<laughs> Jesus said, whoever hears my words and obeys them, they, they know that I'm God. But your unwillingness to hear my words and obey what I tell you to do proves that you're not of God. Well, you can only imagine, again, how this interaction causes their anger to be ratcheted up several degrees. And that begins today's text, John 8, verses 48 through 59. Here's how they respond to Jesus' whole idea that they are of Satan. He is their father and they're not willing to listen to God because Jesus is God in their very presence. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Do you see what they did? Man, they ratcheted the anger between them and Jesus up another level. Uh, they were debating furiously now and anger had entered into them. How do you know it? Because you see, they first of all accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. Previously, they had said in chapter eight that Jesus' father was not Joseph. He was probably illegitimate. And here they are implying that maybe Jesus' father was a Samaritan. Now, if you don't know, the Samaritans were mixed Jews with Gentiles who had intermarried during the time of the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities. Those in the Babylonian captivity, those Jews remained faithful and pure-blooded. When they returned from their captivity, they found Jews that had intermarried with Gentiles and they lived in a certain section called Samaria. They had their own temple. They had their own Bible. They had their own forms of worship and Jews thought they were idolatrous and evil. So really what they're saying here is, hey, you know, you're ratcheting this thing up and saying that our father is Satan, the father of lies. Well, your father is a Samaritan. Your father is a half breed. Your father is probably somebody who is the most evil possible person. And Samaritans were so hated that any reference to Samaritans by anyone, especially Jesus, was considered a racial slur. So here they are basically in a racially charged accusation doing a racist charge against Jesus and implying that maybe his father was a Samaritan. And then they go on to say, and you have a demon. Can you imagine can you imagine that these people are calling the Lord God of the universe someone who's possessed by a demon? It shows how angry they were and the accusations they were now leveling against Jesus, that his father was probably a Samaritan, a racial slur against him, that he was demon possessed. Well, Jesus answers. Here's the tit for tat. Jesus comes back at them in verses 49 and 50. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. So Jesus responds and says, I don't have a demon. How dare you suggest that I have a demon? What they're doing there is the ultimate unpardonable idea of accusing God. You are in Isaiah 520 language calling good evil and evil good. And Jesus comes back and says, I don't have a demon. And for all of you who get wrongly accused by someone or someones in your life who say things about you that just aren't true, here's a great example on how you should handle it. First of all, you don't have to take it. You can respond. Jesus responded to the accusations of being a Samaritan. Maybe his father was a Samaritan and having a demon. He responded and said, I do not 
have a demon. You can also present your side. There is no place in the Bible where it ever suggests that Christians and even Jesus, the one whom we follow, just sit back and get pummeled by people in the world. Jesus responded to the accusations against him. He said, I do not have a demon. But then he went on to say, but here's what I do have, a relationship with my father in heaven. And my whole life is spent trying to honor him here on this earth. And when I honor him with everything that is within me, I'm seeking his glory and his glory alone. And he ultimately is the judge whether your accusations are true or not. So here's what you do, folks, when people wrongly accuse you. You make your master passion honoring God. You make your master passion seeking the kingdom of God. You want more than anything else to do his will and his will alone. And you need to realize when you do that, you're going to have critics. Remember this always. No one's ever built a statue to a critic. You know, dogs only bark at moving cars. Isn't that true? Have you ever seen a dog go up to a parked car and start barking at the car? It doesn't happen. Only barks at moving cars. And when you decide to honor God and make him the master passion of your life, when you decide to seek after Jesus, you're going to put people in difficult places where they don't like to be. They feel judged by you, even if you don't say a word. And here's what you need to do. Keep pursuing God. Keep pursuing the kingdom of God. Seek to honor him above all else. And in the end, God will be your judge. In the end, he'll bring the truth out. My wife, Marilyn, has a phrase she uses all the time. Time and truth travel together. Time and truth travel together. If you've been wrongly accused, you give it to the Lord. You keep serving him. And over time, that truth will be revealed about who you are. Jesus said, I'm going to let God be the judge who is the one between us. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Tom Westboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the Moments of Hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just 
um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also sewed into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, Jen. Great to be with you. Well, in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote about the approval trap, and I think this is something we all need to hear about. Yeah, the exact title of the written daily Moment of Hope, which, by the way, if people want that, they can go to momentsofhopechurch.org and subscribe there every morning in a written form. These Written Moments of Hope will be in their inbox. Um, But this one today was entitled Fame for His Name. Mm. And it's something I was reminded of long ago as I was tempted in ministry even to have fame for my name, (laughs) that that's not the track I should be on. Mm. It should be fame for His name. I live for His glory and His glory alone. Uh, Jeremiah 9 verses 23 and 24 says we are to boast only in the name of the Lord, uh, because he is the creator of everything. I'm just a creature. Who am I that God would even think twice of me? I'm flesh and blood. I'm mere dust. I was created out of dust. I'm going to return to (laughs) dust. God has given the privilege of dust to worship him. What an amazing insight that I should consider that every single day day. Mm. So the whole purpose here is to address this crazy culture in which we live, which emphasizes followers. We know on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever that we are to try to have followers. And I've had people actually tell me they become discouraged and depressed when they experience a drop-off in the number of their followers uh, or when somebody gives them a thumbs down on something they may have said or wrote on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Mm. People are are obsessed with people pleasing. They are addicted to approval as Mm -hmm. you opened the program up immediately. Mm -hmm. And I think we've somehow got to return to the idea that we're not called to amass a bunch of followers. We who love Jesus are called to follow him. And when we do follow him, we might have a lot of people give us a thumbs down. Jesus said, blessed are those who are reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. He made it very clear that if you faithfully follow him, you're going to have people who just don't like you, who give you a thumbs down, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So today, we just want to remind people that we live for Jesus' fame, not our own. In our hearts, we have a desire for fame for his name Mm -hmm. and his name alone. This reminds me of something we've spoken about before on this show is if you live for people's praise, you are going to crumble and die by their criticism. Exactly. Exactly. And I am reminded constantly of this quote from Corey Ten Boom, who was a Nazi concentration camp survivor, a very committed Christian who, when ultimately released from the concentration camps, became a very well-known author and speaker worldwide. And she was asked one time, well, how do you respond when people give you applause and praise? And she said, well, I think it's like having a rose. You take it in your hand, you smell it, 
and then you give it to God. Wow. So whenever you receive praise and somebody giving you a thumbs up, you say, well, thank you. That does feel good, Mm -hmm. but you ultimately give it to God because you know any praise you receive is only because he gave you the giftedness in order to be praised. All praise to him alone. I love this. This is so beautiful. And I'm so glad you brought up her story. I'm reading The Hiding Place, which is her story with my daughter right now. And it is so impactful. Yeah, it really is. And that's a reminder to all parents, read with your children, especially Christian books, which mm-hmm. give them an insight into someone like Corey Tinboom that they wouldn't have had before. It's a great way of developing their faith. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your thoughts today, David. Yeah, thank you, listeners. Thank you for listening to Moments of Hope. We love you all. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly wisdom for the leaders of our nation.